A word to the wise, we are an explicit podcast tackling content with adult themes, as well as entering spoiler territory if you aren't caught up with us. This week, we are reading through Chapter 6 of Mistborn, The Final Empire by Brandon Sanderson. Hey there, this is Cross. And I'm PJ. And we are Words and Whiskey, a podcast for veteran and novice readers alike. We tackle fiction novels and love to talk about what we're drinking. You should think of us as your intoxicating weekly book club. I don't want to give away too much right now, but usually I either try to make something really good that I enjoy for drinks or make some sort of abomination. And this was something I thought would be tasty and it sucks. So we'll get into that in a little bit, but um, yeah, that's that's kind of depressing right now. <laughs> oh, don't beat yourself up too bad. We're going to do another one of these in a little bit here, so just kidding. Not one of these episodes, but mm-hmm. later this week, we're going to be recording the third episode. <laughs> Woo! You get another chance. You can redeem yourself. It's fine. To that point, today is our second episode discussing Mistborn, The Final Empire by Brandon Sanderson, and we are going to chat about chapters four through six. But before we get into that, what are you drinking, PJ? I made a Cosmopolitan. (laughs) Um, I'm genuinely not positive I've actually ever had a Cosmopolitan. So maybe Cosmos just suck and I wasn't aware of it. But I made some substitutions and some augmentations kind of out of necessity and what I thought would be better. And they didn't pan out. So um, a Cosmopolitan as standard as far as I can as far as the recipe I found, and I didn't go looking for like, what's a real cosmopolitan, but the one I found, two ounces of vodka, two ounces of cranberry juice, one ounce of Cointreau, one ounce of lemon juice, and one ounce of simple syrup. Actually, these were tablespoons. These were measured in tablespoons, which is, uh, I've never seen that, but that's such a tiny drink, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so that was, that was I just scaled it up to ounces instead because that seems better. Maybe tables, no, tablespoons are way smaller than ounces. I don't remember. Anyway. Um, Regardless, if it's scalar, you don't think it would change the drink that much. It wouldn't, and it didn't. I'm just <laughs> I'm just talking about the, the recipe that I was reading. Mm. It very explicitly says to use unsweetened, like, pure cranberry juice in that recipe, and I did not have that. I thought I did, which is why I went with this one. And I decided it, and I already brought all the bottles upstairs to make the cocktail. And I'm like, shit, this is cranberry juice cocktail, which is already sweetened. Ooh. Yep. So on the fly, to sort of compensate, I just added like a splash of bitter or of a, a splash of simple syrup. And I thought just to kind of temper whatever sweetness might be coming out of the juice. That's not supposed to be there. I added two dashes of orange bitters. Shook all of that, garnished it with a lime wedge. It was not good. There was definitely a lot of orange, sort of orange essence, like orange uh, essential oil sort of smell that came out Mm of it, which makes sense from the orange bitters. Like a clean product. um, like Almost. Not quite that bad, but almost. And the second sip wasn't as bad, but then I just took the lime wedge and squeezed it into the drink. And now it's a little bit better. So 
I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking it's user error and just the fact that I, A, made mistakes on what I actually had in my fridge and B, like, I don't know, substituted things strangely. But I had, I had good reasons for it. Anyway, it, it's disappointing and I wouldn't make it again, but at least it's better with that squeeze of lime juice. Anyway, on a better note, following this up, I have Drecker's Brains, which is a double fruit smoothie sour. And this variety is blackberry guava and lemonade. So they, they release a bunch of these all with different fruits and different additives. So. I'm excited yeah, periodically. For it. Nice. Yep. That is a solid beer. Good call. Mm-hmm. At the very least, you have that to like back you up. Uh, what about you? What have you got? I am having a screwdriver. I didn't quite have time to run out. So I'd originally put out a request to patrons for a drink recommendation, got a good one, and then realized I was out of non. I was out of whiskey that I didn't want to save, you know, if that makes sense. And I yeah. didn't realize that, like, You're looking at, into my cabinet. Out of cocktail it's, whiskey. It's, exactly, right. So I was like, oh, shit, well, what do, what do I have stuff to make a cocktail for? And I, like, dug around the fridge. And I was like, oh, I can make a pretty acceptable screwdriver with with everything that I have. And, uh, yeah, it's it's good. Instead of, um, you know, I, I think I mentioned this before, but the screwdrivers that I was accustomed to, the first couple ones that I had, had, like, a top of, um, like, 7-Up or Sprite or something in addition to just the orange juice vodka. Uh, instead of that, I did a little bit of lemon spindrift just to give it a little bit of carbonation without adding any kind of additional sweet or anything like that. And it's good. It tastes exactly how you want it to. Perfect. Yeah. No, no complaints at all. Literally really, really stupid, simple vodka, orange juice, spindrift. That's it. Nice. I don't, I don't know what it is. I think there was one night and I, I didn't realize this until you just brought up screwdrivers, but I think there was one night where you and I made a bunch of really really bad tequila sunrises mm-hmm. and now screwdrivers remind me of that for some like it's just a lot mm. of one one spirit and a lot of orange juice is a total turnoff for me that is interesting huh. do you remember that night i do recall that night because we we had like two big things of uh orange juice in the fridge that we had to get through because they were going to expire in a couple of days or we were leaving or something like that and and Oh, and my dad had his like office holiday party and they ended up with like an extra bottle of Jose gold that he did not want to keep at his home. So he gave it to us. That sounds right. Oh, that was a bad decision. Yeah. And then we just had a lot of screwdrivers. Yep. 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 Um, so and that is- I didn't realize I had like a drink that I will not approach anymore, but that's it. Yeah. You just thought about that right now? Yep. Yep. So- Huh, legit. Uh, to follow that up, I'm having my favorite stout of late uh, from a local brewery here out of Wilmington, North Carolina. Edward teaches wrongfully mine. It's a breakfast stout with vanilla, coffee, maple syrup, and cinnamon. And it is awesome. It sounds um, awesome. Uh, you should mail me some. No, uh, don't do that. That's illegal. The mail is for <laughs> sacred things only. Please mail that to me. It's really good. It's, okay. It's really good. Uh, my dad, so we, we went out to a place a couple of weeks ago, and he tried it because I'd, I'd bought a can. I think I'd bought cans of it, and then I brought one over. Uh, we ended up trying it, and he was like, that's one of the best beers I've ever had. And I was like, yeah, right? Like, it's insane. And uh, and Bingham was like, yeah, this is amazing. So he went out this weekend and bought 16 cans. He cleaned out one of the local shops. <laughs> um <laughs> 
and then gave me a four pack. I was like, thank you for introducing me to this beer. Uh, that absolutely so, sounds like your dad. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, um, he's like, I got to keep some, I got to keep some for, you know, when people visit, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, that's a good idea. So good. Cool. That's, uh, that's what I'm having. So cool. With, awesome. With that, we go into the breakdown. So with that, we start off with chapter four. We start this chapter with a discussion between the remainder of Mylev's crew and Vin, in which she's given an interesting title. The Twixt, some, someone, and, and the title being held between the two thieving crews kind of as a point of communication. This is really more about the rumor building than anything else here. You know, among, among kind of the group of them, the importance of this job and Kelsier's return notoriety ahead of nearly anything else. We get some other interesting bits about Kelsier's history. What did you think of his fame and where he is now? I felt like this was a really clean and natural way of like letting us in on the myth that Kelsier has become. That said, becoming a famous or infamous thieves crew is probably more of a hindrance than anything else (laughs) in the, uh, in the industry that they found themselves in. But anyway, it does give us some notion on the kind of person that we're dealing with one that not only like talks the talk cause he's very like loud and charismatic and is definitely a big talker, but we learn that he, at least from the public's perspective or perception, he has earned that sort of ability to talk like that. So, um, it, it's given him the right to act the way that he does in their eyes to a certain extent. But um, as far as his time in the pits go and the rumors there, there is so much going on as far as like what's happened to him. And it seems a lot of it is completely based on the fact that he has a whole bunch of scars on his arms now, (laughs) you know, like it, and all of the theories are different, but that's how, that's how myths and rumors go. Huh? That is exactly how, like, this myth seems to perpetuate itself here, right? Like, it just, it continues to balloon in the minds of these, you know, some of them are younger kids, and we can we can assume some are probably, you know, young adults and, and whatnot, but they're having this conversation, and it has that air of rumor about it of, like, well, I think he got it doing this, and I think he got it doing that. No, that can't be true. Like, it's got that that sort of energy to it that you would imagine, you know, kind of, like, for me, I, I imagine, like, some of that talk kind of being similar to the like side talk in Aladdin that you might see other characters mention except for in Aladdin. I think it's the guards that talk about those things, but you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So given this sort of situation Mm -hmm. and how high profile he is and presumably how wanted he must be, it seems kind of odd how little concern a lot of the people that he interacts with seem to have for the fact that they're being seen with him. I know it's behind closed doors, but it's not like they're, taking every single precaution to not be seen or anything like that. Like he is, he is relatively out in the open, not entirely, but fairly so. And that's odd to me. So in what way is he out in the open? How would you describe? Well, I mean, he's going out and like collecting this crew and maybe, maybe as people delegated for that, but he's, he's out on the street when the uh, steel inquisitor came last chunk and like was able to see them being followed like he was he was out in public during that time mm-hmm. and as far as i can tell based on what we know about the pits and how it is astonishing that he survived it let alone escaped 
makes it seem like he should be basically top of the list for FBI's most wanted. Mm-hmm. One of the other things that was mentioned, though, as well, is that they didn't want to lend credence to the rumors. So that's why the manhunt, a manhunt hasn't happened. Okay. Because they didn't okay. want. I missed that. That was then. that was in last week's reading. Um, not gotcha. this week's, but just just kind of that. But I think in general, he's being fairly cautious. The one exception, though, really being kind of him going and seeing Vin in in last week. I mean, okay. cautious to a degree, right? Like, obviously, he goes and blows up the, the Ventures castle here and keep in a second. You know, that's that's a little bit different. Yeah, there's that. There's also, like, <laughs> the people interacting with him, the crew that he's assembled. They're not They're not that concerned with the idea that they'll be associating themselves with him. And I know they all already know him to a certain degree, so maybe they don't care so much, but... You'd think there would be more concern about how high profile he is as opposed to just how crazy this idea is. Yeah, I I think there's definitely a combination of things going on here in factors. And I think that their friends and their friends been missing for years. And so he comes back, returns and he's a mistborn now. Like and we get into some of that, I think, a little bit later, a little Mm -hmm. bit more as we kind of come to understand some more of these details. But I, I think that. There's an allure, and that's why people originally showed up. And then they they're staying around for the promise and the pay and the. I mean, we we get like clubs' reason very firmly, but we can talk about that more in a second. Does that yeah. at the very least yeah. dissuade? Sounds good. Okay, or not dissuade, but you know, open and up the door I, I to the possibility. I didn't have yeah. it so much as a sticking point. I just found it right. a little curious. Yeah, sure. Any other thoughts on the things that the boys uh, of my love's crew have to say here? Um, not explicitly. No. Um, I, I, I think the scarring going into that a little, in a little bit more detail, the scarring on his arms kind of diving in, there's the idea that he was strangling a monster from the inside and his, and the teeth shredded his arms somehow. What were some of the other ones? I can't recall exactly. Um, from a fight with an inquisitor, um, trying that, that's the other big one that I remember for killing an inquisitor. Right. Was it for killing an inquisitor? Or was it he he oh, killed an inquisitor to escape? I think. Yes. The, yes. Yeah. But I think claim. that and there's they were pointing to the scars, saying that that was. Yeah, I th- I feel like there was one more, but I can't recall. But I'm right. just going to go ahead and throw my my hat in the ring as far as where he got this from. <laughs> okay. So we we know contextually that he says he can still feel them burning. Sometimes we know they are like fine thin scars. Mm-hmm. So I think. He was tortured and was cut all over the place, all over his arms with a hot, sharp blade. Okay. That's my guess. Like, it, it was all just torture. Okay. And cool. I have I have further reason for it that I think we'll get into later, but I think I think that actually feeds into something. Okay. All right. That's a, that is a mighty fair prediction here. Mm-hmm. Vin's realization that her old goal in life as well of staying alive was kind of uninspired. That's right around the same section as, as she's kind of reflecting. And and obviously that is a logical reaction on her part now that kind of the world's opened up. But it's it's this moment that she kind of becomes woven into this story's larger tapestry. She feels like this world begins to change and kind of unfold around her. I just kind of wanted your thoughts on what you think of, of Vin and the changes that we've even seen right now over the course of 80-ish pages. 70 pages I mean, she has been entirely like shielded from the possibility of anything else happening other than the tra- trajectory that she was on even when talking about clubs later on she notes that this is very very high station for a ska 
the fact that basically the only really step up for her at that, like as far as she understood up until now was maybe to become the leader of a crew at some point. Like that is as far forward as her worldview allowed her to see forward. Presumably like this is me projecting on her, I suppose. Mm -hmm. But um, seeing that there was another path forward and sort of an intermediary step between like crew leaders and nobles or even like a side path. It makes sense that suddenly she's allowing her imagination to sort of flourish a little bit because she's really, really smart and she has a really good grasp on the realities of the world. It's just her worldview has been so limited. Yeah. Yeah. I can't, I can't help but agree. And I think that it's really kind of an interesting, it's difficult to fully paint, right? Because I think that obviously we're still growing with Vin and Vin is growing here. But it really kind of shows, especially using the example of clubs here is great. Like there is hopelessness in being ska, but to like see her be filled with hope, I think is is interesting. And and she isn't fully there yet. She still holds a lot of those kind of resentments, grudges. And I, I don't even know if that'll change at any point. Um, but it's, you know, it's it's nice to see that little like little glimmer, you know. Right. I said, you know, sure. like four times there. But, you know, you, you know, you know, <laughs> you know, yeah. Shortly thereafter, we are introduced to our first two crew members walking in together, that of Ham and Breeze. They're very different. Ham with his philosophical musings about free will and Breeze with his poetic silver-tongued stylings. We also meet Club, the sm- Clubs, the smoker of the group, the owner of the uh, shop that we were at later, and Yeadon, the leader of a ska rebellion who hired the group in the first place. Any thoughts on the group uh, as we close out kind of this getting the gang together? Part of the meeting? Um, yeah, so we get a lot of information on Alamancy here. Like, throughout this entire section, mm-hmm. right away we understand that Ham is called a thug. And he... We do get a lot of information on Alamancy here in general. We, uh... through Throughout this whole section ahead of the vault heist, which is where we get a, a whole lot more detail, but... We get the understanding that Ham is a called a thug, which uses pewter, which grants him a pretty great surge of strength, which is, I mean, kind of ironic that he is this like sort of philosophical, whimsical thinker of the group, but he's also the, the, the tank or the, the bruiser of, of a certain extent. Like, I know he's a big imposing mm-hmm. dude. We've got smokers. Well, oh, okay. So Breeze is called a <coughs> soother, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's what Vin does with her luck. We've got smokers. And as far as I can tell, they can sense the use of alamancy. And maybe they can, like, maybe they're somewhat immune to it. I'm not positive on that. That's kind of ambiguous still at this point, but at the very least they can kind of understand the fact that they're being influenced and therefore can subvert the influence altogether, which thinking about it that way, that made it interesting about the fact that Vin was pretty quickly able to pick up on the fact that she was being influenced by breeze. And once she understood what was happening, she was completely like broken from that sort of spell but just kind of getting away from the sort of nitty-gritty of it all this seems like a very fun diverse group 
And I feel like this is where the audiobook did a really, really good job of assigning additional characterization to every one of them. Yeah, I so there's obviously going to be a lot to kind of un, unfold here. Um, what else? Obviously, there's also a little bit more that we get here later that delineates pushing and pulling inside of this conversation. What did you make of that as it was attached to Alamancy? Because obviously, like that was kind of going back and forth, hand in hand, and pushing and pulling with capital letters, right? So, like that's yeah, yeah, that was interesting. First thought, and it got completely thrown out after a little bit, but first thought was that it was capitalized because it's less of a physical like action and more of terms specifically assigned to those opposing actions that, like I said, got completely thrown out later on when we're talking about pushing steel and pulling iron, which is very much more literal in that they are like, you are pushing it away from you or pulling it towards you. Was that, was that also capitalized? I can't recall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yep. It was also, there was also a shorthand term used, uh, iron push, steel push as one word. Well, push was steel. Pull was iron. You're Very right, explicitly. Right. Like, yep. 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 Yeah, yep, yep, yep. Yeah, yeah. You're right. I'm still trying to figure out if there's what the difference between iron and steel is in this respect. Like physically, what sort of metal difference they are using. But anyway. What do you mean? Um, Steel Sorry. is steel is iron. Well, okay. Yep. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. So, I don't know. Yeah, that sure is interesting, isn't it? So, <laughs> yep, how, that's kind of weird. <laughs> did, you, did you have any other thoughts on pushing and pulling? <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've had that awkward of a pause in this podcast of uh, like a pregnant pause. On sure show. you have. In a, anyway, <laughs> in a while, <laughs> I definitely have, but not, not in a bit. <laughs> um, <ooh>. <laughs> so, <laughs> so my, my only thought here, cause why not make you be more awkward? Iron, I guess could be the less refined. It could be seen as more general, less refined component of steel. Mm-hmm. That's not quite true necessarily but i could see it being that way i don't know i i have a question for you do you remember the eight metals we have iron steel copper tin pewter bronze zinc and brass zinc and brass okay okay and uh, bronze brass copper are all going to be very very similar so i'm guessing that uh, we know copper is used for like copper is the luck that is the soothers the inflaming, I'm guessing, is the bra- brass. I'm going to guess actually, brass. We actually don't know the copper is. Uh, we do. No. We do. Uh, no. Because Clubs is talking about later on saying that um, he doesn't trust them with or without copper. Correct. Right? Like, doesn't that imply that copper is the metal used for soothing? Nope. It doesn't. <laughs> All right. Interesting. It, it, it implies something entirely different, uh, but I'm so glad that you brought that up. So, all right, with that, we're going to move on because it's a fun <laughs> spot to let you think about this shit. Um, <laughs> well, okay, so it implies something that I have no knowledge of then. 
Potentially. Um, what do you mean potentially? <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not here to connect dots for you. <laughs> <laughs> there are no dots to collect. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, now I have to erase right. copper equals <laughs> luck in quotation marks off my fucking whiteboard. I literally have it like. <laughs> you have notes written on this? That's super yeah. I'm cool. taking notes uh, like on my whiteboard while I'm listening to the audiobook and walking around my room. No, that's good. That's good. I just, it, it's funny. Uh, uh, that's okay, so. fucking wrong, man. <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry or oh copper is what he uses then as a smoker there we go okay 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 cool good good work <laughs> um you know it's kind of an indirect connection and i i don't i don't feel too bad i was just like you were so confident about it that i'm like well no <laughs> i'm not gonna yeah I'm not no gonna that's fair that one sit week it, to week because it is it I is just, on the page i just miss i i listened to it the wrong way and i had it so like because he's so talking about how he doesn't trust them regardless of if they're actually using their powers mm-hmm. in like the same breath so yeah, i assumed so, that was the same sort of line of dialogue but never mind in that cool. way we may as well ask what does that mean a smoker is or do you have a guess as to what a smoker is so i i have this is some chapter five shit, but we're here right now. So yeah, we're here anyway. So I'm assuming that a smoker is somebody who can either, well, definitely can sense when allomancy is being used in the area, much like the steel inquisitors can. And God, I'm still trying to figure out if I, I guess I just talked about it in the last uh, answer. I, I think, I think that because they can sense it, they can't be, charmed by it to a certain degree and like they can't be they can't fall under its spell because they know that it's a spell that's being cast on them sure okay. like, I, like i was saying vin once she understood that breeze was using luck on her in her terms then she did not have like she she was conscious enough to not have to follow it okay so i think Having the understanding that allomancy is being used <clears throat> means that they are not, at least not as susceptible to its influence. Okay. All right. Sounds good. That's my I thought. I just wanted to, you know, since we're here, let's, you know, mention it offhand. So with the group assembled in the room, we finally get to hear the pitch. The heist to take down the final empire through the threat theft of the Lord Ruler's ATM, and if the opportunity arises, to kill him as well. What do you think of the goal and the rough outline of the plan that we get here? This is absolutely as insane and absurd as it's made out to be from Vin's perspective. Yeah. Especially considering that Vin's a rookie here, and she's just being kind of like thrown into the fire on this fucking insane heist. As far as I can tell, this is a very long entrenched structure of government, if, if you can call it government of 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 rule, and it's been yeah they call they've called it a theocracy specifically in this okay. chapter. So okay, that yeah I think I re- recall that. So there has been an active resistance for a millennium, for a thousand years that has made zero progress, none, like fucking nothing. So 
the fact that that's the case makes this batshit crazy. Yep. Yep, absolutely. It it does kind of make this batshit crazy. It gives this in, insane impression of, you know, like the, this truly unachievable goal. Like like we've said a couple of times, this is often this empire is referred to as the final empire. This is this is the end of of choice of of anything else. This is as good as things get in their own way um, or as final as they are. So it very it's very interesting to kind of have this and have this be kind of the goal of the story now that gets put in front of us, um, especially from Vin's perspective, kind of like you said, just the complete novice being like, uh, what? <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. And it, it, I'm not even saying it's it is it is crazy from her perspective being the novice, but the fact that a novice is being brought in for this is also fucking insane. Right, but she is a Mistborn. Don't forget. But she is a Mistborn. Mistborns are rare. Incredibly. Incredibly rare. Uh, so, with that, Kelsier also reveals a piece of information that he had stashed in his sleeve, the secret behind the location of where Atium, one of the two advanced metals, and it comes from, which has been where it comes from, which has long been hidden from the public. But of course, it was where he was sent. Atium is mined at the pits of Hathsin. So I'm really curious if there's ever been anyone else that escaped from the pits. The answer there is no. Or hmm? they, they've said no. No, um, no, as far as the public knows. Well, okay, sure. Like, I know, I know, like, disinformation campaigns, Crossland. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But also anybody who wasn't a prisoner there that worked there or guards there or something like that. Like there are people that exist that know about this place and how well tied they, how well tied up they are is kind of a mystery. And I'm sure there are more people that know about it that will either be friends or foes. And I'm really excited to find out. All right. Hot take. Hot take. Hot take. There's uh, more people. Hot take. More people know. More survivors. I mean, and that's a, you know, like it's a, you're, you're allowed to have hot takes here and there. I'm not necessarily saying survivors. Like there, there can be people that were there as like, I don't know, uh, prison guards. Oh, right. Right, right. Yeah, more people who might know more about the Pits of Hatson. Yeah. I'm I'm sure there has to be those, right? Right. But who are they? I don't know. But but who? But, but who? who? But who? Vin's reaction to all this, both throughout and in culmination, is one of shock and silent judgment. What do you make of her assessment of these men? She is super cautious of fucking everything. I mean, it makes sense. She is nervous twitchy skittish however you want to call it um Mm -hmm. but it's because of the way that her life has gone up until this point like she hasn't had a good time so for that reason i guess i think no matter what she's going to be on the lookout for anything that might be a threat to her Mm -hmm. and these men are pretty bold characters yeah so like there there's got to be something going on in her brain like this doesn't seem right 
Yeah, obviously, like we've we've mentioned before, Vin has this kind of very damaged um, persona about her, and it definitely defines the way that she reacts to things like having her back to doors. She never has her back to doors. She always looks at, at multiple exits, you know, kind of keeps all those things in mind at all time. And uh, I think I agree with you. I think that, you know, she is definitely assessing all of these people individually as threats and yeah, mm-hmm. kind of a sad life where she doesn't really have friends. Even like the one friend she still has, Ulef, right? But like, even her one friend basically sold her out to Cayman, and she got a chair thrown at her. Yeah, almost got like beat to death. Yeah, so like, the chair was just to get her to stop running. Yeah, right. Um, and she's also super like. Like I said before, she's really smart. Like she knows what's going on, but she uses that in a way that's really fucking paranoid. Like she is absolutely making very calculated decisions on where to sit down, make sure she can see all the exits at all time. Like she is on top of it and um, probably not in a healthy way. Yeah, probably, probably not. Maybe not. I mean, it certainly is healthy from a survival perspective, but I'm sure that is um, mental health wise, maybe a little bit taxing. Yeah, absolutely. It's there's no doubt that it's taxing. That's got to be just grating on her mind to be on on edge at all times. I mean, I know when I'm stressed about something, the way that like your back feels tense all the time and it just builds and builds and builds and accumulates. So, yeah, I mean, Mm -hmm. Oh, you want better for our poor girl, Vin. Yeah, for sure. The Lord Ruler is also given another title here instead of this conversation, the Sliver of Infinity, before Kelsier also presents his means of killing the Lord Ruler in addition to his reason behind going on this endeavor to begin with. The Lord Ruler is responsible for the death of Mare, someone who is close to Kelsier. He then brings out something only whispered about in the northern part of the world, the 11th Metal. Yes. This northern part of the world, I think, in this same space, he also mentions that they remember the name of the Old Kingdom. Um, So that brings even more mystery to whatever this world is. It also mentions the Ascension, which is capitalized, I'm assuming is some sort of event. And my guess is that's when the Lord Ruler rose to power. Ascended into godhood or the sliver of infinity or whatever you want to call it at this point. Not sure what to make of that, but um, whole lot of real kind of big inception events alluded yeah. to here. Yeah, and also like the eleventh metal in general, right? Like, what mm-hmm. what do you think the eleventh metal could be? <coughs> Aluminum. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> tin foil. Um. <laughs> no, we already have tin. Yeah, you're right. You're right. My bad. Mercury, maybe? Mm. <laughs> poison. Literally poison. <laughs> well, I mean, you don't have to like shave filings into some sort of metal solution and put it in a vial. You can just put the whole fucking thing in a vial. It's true. It's true. It's but sci-fi would it be looking. Hmm? He pulls out an ingot, right? Oh, he does, doesn't he? Yeah. Maybe he's very, very cold. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) 
Okay, with that, no, he does. We'll go- he does pull out another ingot, doesn't he? Yeah, he does pull out an ingot. It's an ingot for sure. With that, chapter five. Our first prophecy of the week is one that introduces the deepness as the stark grave threat that is consuming the world as it spreads. Any thoughts or musings on this prophecy? Uh, my only thought, and is based on really not much at all, is that it has something to do with the mist. Even even given that, I have no fucking idea, man. I've got no clue. Any any more thoughts as to who our hero is here? You're going to hate me for my answer. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like my answer is kind of spoilery. The audiobook voice is very, very similar to Vin's, hmm. if not the same. Okay. The like the vocal inflection that is used. So that's I can't get that out of my head. Sure. But yeah, I, I mean, you're allowed to think that. Welcome to being misled. Fair. Or are you? I, you know, I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, but no, I was I, really thinking it was going to be Vin. Um, even yeah, you last, were last week. week. Yeah. So, so. still That's on that I, train. Did you know? I, I mean, you actually probably do know. I don't know if we even mentioned this in our episode zero or one, but Michael Kramer, we've listened to before. He did uh, Daniel's Daniel Green's book as well. Oh, Breach of Peace. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Yep, same guy. Same uh, awesome. same audiobook narrator. Also Kate Redding in uh Breach of Peace because there was also a female perspective and team up on some books, um but not these from Brandon Sanderson. They do on the Stormlight Archive, which is a different series, but yeah, cool. That's nice. it. Just wanted to mention yeah, that. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So from there, we resume the story still in Cayman's old hideaway, digging around to get at some more wine. It's clear through these like little vignettes that we get that the closest people on this crew together are Doxon and Kelsey are really kind of holding down the leadership as, you know, kind of right hands, you know, leader in right hand. Kelsey in this moment as well mentioned something that he used his ATM at Trustings and to buy or sewers contract. What do you think an Orsur is or could be, and what might that contract be? So, based on the name, I'm guessing it has to do with refining ore into metal. Okay. Guessing further, I think this contract is a way of establishing a backstory for the uh, the noble that they have. Noble in heavy quotes, working on their behalf. What it, What is his name? Um, renew mm-hmm. now renew yeah. renew lord renew renax renaus yeah right lots of fun yeah. pronunciations so i'm guessing that's what the contract's all about um an or sure or sure is uh some sort of or sewer i mean s-u-r-e yep sure sewer i don't know <laughs> sure Uh, (laughs) no sewer (laughs) sewer sewer let's move on (laughs) Um, yeah can't tell you why exactly it's pronounced the way it it is uh so one of the interesting things here is that michael kramer like most audiobook narrators are handed a you know like a definition of words and how the author wants them pronounced and, and things like that and this seems like one of those it also seems like one that should maybe be O-R-E-S-U-U-R or something like that. But yeah, I mean, pronunciation, whatever. I'm basically running by the audiobook for the most part, per usual. So Yeah, that's fair. But or sure. Or sure. Um, I mean, or sure 
Sounds like an American like ore refining company. Sounds like Exxon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it totally does. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. Fun. Um, what I've also decided is that you make enough predictions throughout the episode that I'm just going to start snagging these. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, go for it. Uh, italicizing them for future use. I was like, that's just better. Um, so clubs, at least initially walks out of this meeting as well. He comes back in this chapter to agree, afraid that he could have been emotionally manipulated by breeze in the room. We obviously talked a little bit about this earlier, Mm -hmm. but what do you make of his paranoia around breeze breeze and soothers? We talked about the ability and whatnot, but like, what do you, what do you think about the other component here? His, his sort of paranoia and his worry. I think it makes total sense. I think he contextually, he is a man that has spent most of his adult life prove, uh, providing refuge for mistings that are being hunted. And I think because of that, it's just in his nature to be overly cautious. And I'm sure that in that sort of line of work, he has seen things go really, really sideways as a result of manipulation by a soother. So I, I'm sure he's lost, if not one, many, many people that sort of manipulation. So that's my read on it, at least. Cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sounds good to me. I mean, I'm I'm excited. Um, and I think that you're you're definitely correct kind of on on the way that he, he thinks about this and especially in the way that he kind of comes to the conclusion here as to like why he's deciding to join the mission on the whole, being that eventually he's going to be found and killed like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's yeah. that complication as well. It's just a matter of time. Right. Just a matter of time. So we leave the scene having almost all the crew in place for this job and head up to the roof in Kelsier's perspective. We see Luthadel at light, no longer just an ash-blackened city, but one that is obscured, hidden, and shadowed. Distant spires glow. It's just so cool and kelsey you're taking off into it is truly something else we'll talk about that more in a second but any thoughts on the um vista that we get here this mist is super eerie and creepy and i am so intrigued i love it Mm -hmm. but um if we're gonna talk about kelsey you're taking off into the night like i'll i'll save it for whenever whenever we talk about that because yeah i mean we super fucking cool we can just like jump into that here too, um, but before we do that, we'll we'll talk about kind of the the jumping thing um, and and sort of one of the things here. But before we do that, there's a conversation that happens before he truly takes off, um, where he's kind of talking about Mare, her being, or he's like internally monologuing about Mare, her being a tin eye, and we also get other little details. Kelsier's powers, of course, appeared later when he snapped. Uh, what thoughts do you have on? snapping as it is yeah yeah so here's here's a couple things did we did we bring this up earlier we did a little bit but we didn't fully talk about it all right oh we talked about him being tortured okay yes but we didn't talk about yeah this and here's why i there there are a lot of assumptions to this and i think i think i'm right on all of them no i'm not gonna (laughs) go that far but um, I think there are a lot of very specific circumstances that led to his allomantic powers coming to be, two of which are extreme physical pain and extreme emotional pain, um, being like those two being torture 
and the loss of Mare. Another is the fact that this is within the immediate vicinity of an ATM mine, which is a powerful metal of some sort, but we don't know exactly what it does yet. Right? Like yeah, it's, that, it's so so powerful that, you know, like the Lord Ruler keeps tight claws yeah. on it. Yeah. Yeah, we just don't know it's what it does yet. Mm-hmm. But I'm thinking that it somehow gets into his bloodstream through the torture and the emotional pain like triggers something and it awakens these powers. And what's more is I don't think this was accidental. I think he was an experiment and Mm. he was meant to be broken in this way and for the Alamancy to be awakened and for him to be made a Mistborn. Um, what wasn't meant to happen was for him to retain his own will, his own free will, and for him to escape. So that's, I, I'm guessing he was being made into a weapon for the Lord R- Ruler. Interesting. Which is also why I don't think he's the only one. The only escapee. Okay. Um, Not necessarily the only escapee. I'm sure he he very well may be the only escapee. Okay, yeah. Same more more people that have gone through what he went through. Yeah, that didn't escape and are under the control of the Lord Ruler, but are just as formidable. All right. That I mean, that's that's great. That is it's a long-winded, large guess, but that's my that's my thought on what's happening with this dude. Yeah, it's um, I I really like that. I really kind of like the idea of this of this having this potential to be kind of a recruiting tool of sorts like this. This end of life torture in its own way could also be a recruiting tool for the mm-hmm. some nefarious purpose for the Lord Ruler. That's a really interesting idea. Yeah. With that, we also get the description I was kind of skirting around last week, that of the mist cloak. This was the thing that I was trying to hide because just about every uh, every version of Mistborn, except for the paperback novel, has this mist cloak with, you know, with a character inside of it. And uh, okay. that's totally fair, though. Like, this is v- still very early in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I'm not saying that it's that crazy yeah. of a spoiler. All that I'm saying is that it's it's such a cool visual to get get yeah. described to you. You know, like the the idea that these are these like tethers tied together up until the shoulders and it flows around and there's hundreds of them. You know, it gives this very. Yeah, high, interesting I, image. Just in our discord, there was a picture that popped up. Yeah, fucking Tim Olson. Uh, <laughs> no, but it was after I had already read. So it was okay. Okay, got it. Like all good. But I I think I appreciate the fact that I read it first. But it I mean, it's hard to really deviate from that design. It's pretty set in stone as far as what it looks like. Mm-hmm. There's not a whole lot of room for interpretation. There's a little bit, but um it was cool to visualize it and then see it be illustrated by somebody. Yeah, that that's less of an illustration and that's actually a depiction inside of Fortnite. Oh, I'm looking. I, I was thinking about something else. Did he send it somewhere else? I don't know that. He um, did. <clears throat> what was I looking at then? No, there, the there was, the there show. was some other picture that was posted somewhere that I saw. And I thought it was in the discord. 
It, there is one in the Discord, but it's right here. Um, no, I'm thinking about something else entirely. Hmm. I don't think there was another one sent that I'm okay. aware of at the very least. Um, then I don't know what to say. Unless there was a book cover, which it very well could have been. Because, I mean, that even the book cover is kind of a giveaway. As that mentioned been previously. Uh, do, 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 do. I can't remember. <clears throat> one of the standard covers, so... Um, nope, wasn't that one either. Okay. Well, there's like two more, but they're basically all the same. You get the Okay. Point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like it all looks the same. <laughs> right. Right. Um, so but it, I mean, it's just a very cool image and it gives, you know, this unique aesthetic and, you know, like Jedi wear ghee effectively. Like they they <laughs> borrow something that already exists. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of the time, you know, they've got that like robe monkish thing going on and this is completely different. This is something wholly unique and uh, I like it, like it quite a bit. Yeah, for sure. Can you think of any creative reason that Sanderson might have chosen this out of curiosity? Um, I mean, there is a contextual reason that it, sure. it is supposed to imitate and blend in with the mist. Mm-hmm. So... um that's that's the only thing that was really that's kind of that's good enough. Me. So. Yeah. Cool. All right. Yeah. 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 God, yeah. it's gonna bother me then. Like, where did I see this? Yeah. Well, we'll have to find it later. Yeah. With that, we you know we 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 talked about the Miss Cloak itself, um, but we also get an image and depiction of Mistborn carrying glass daggers to protect themselves against the seemingly inevitable violence that kind of occurs against them and that we'll see later in this chapter. Um, because of course these weapons can't be yanked out of their hands by other elementic abilities or pushed or pulled or anything like that. Um, but Kelsier also makes the decision to take off in the night to go for house venture. Yeah. This description like in, in tandem with the mist cloak, like mm-hmm. that kind of obviously takes the, takes the spotlight a little bit. But the glass daggers was really a nice touch on that. It makes total sense. The fact that he like he, it's it's made note that like we know that glass is not as great of a weapon choice material wise as like any sort of metal is. So like the first thing he does is check to make sure there's not nicks and like chunks taken out of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so that just felt like a good kind of grounding point. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of shows that they're meant more for pretty much just directly for stabbing and wouldn't necessarily be great for like blocking other things and shows like a very different (laughs) side of weapons, you know? Right. Exactly. (laughs) No, it's very interesting Uh to be wielding something so fragile, but you know, still capable of killing someone. So it's, um, Mm. it's good there for sure. Faux show. All right, man. Now we get a ton of medals used off the bat when he jumps off of the roof to show how a mistborn moves throughout the world and night in Luthadel. Steel and iron used in conjunction to move off of different objects, um, kind of both pushing or pulling to kind of move him around, throwing out coins to bounce and propel himself further. It's just so cool. Yeah, this this was amazing. Like this was this and leading into like this entire chapter basically was a nonstop like stream of 
just such cool action. And in my head, from the time he leaves the roof to like the end of this like allomancy sort of sequence, it felt like no cuts camera, like following the hero through this in- intricate fight scene kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Like single take, it, it it just felt so good. And I know we haven't really talked a whole lot about adaptation yet because uh we haven't gotten that far into this book but we talked a lot about that in the last series and i feel like this is this is like a written out choreograph of choreograph would that be the right way to put it (coughs) It i'm taking a drink there (laughs) (laughs) this is like the the choreography written in script form Yes, um, it is well choreographed. Um, well, it, I don't, I don't know if that's. Like, this is obviously so is that- like particular, but choreography is when, when you write out what's going to happen. Is that yet the choreography, or is the choreography the physical adaptation of what's written? I think choreography is when it's executed, but I would say it's choreographed because that gives you the the instructions. Like, yeah, right. Okay. Anyway, it, this read like that, and it felt so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, and we'll we'll talk a lot about the action in a second here. But I also forgot to mention like the blue lines that come out when he starts to burn the steel and iron as like details to like show him where the other metals are in the area, so that he kind of knows what he can react to and push and pull off of. It's just so fucking cool. Like the lines out of the chest, the whole flying in the air thing, mm-hmm. the kind of mist around him, the, this idea of like, it makes Batman look really shitty. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like it really Batman's does. already like a shitty superhero, right? Oh, in, in but concept. there was, there was such a good, and by good, I mean like, so I, I rolled my eyes so hard at it um, because it reminded me of like, a cheesy line you'd you'd get from Batman, um, and it it was so brooding. It was like a dark creature like me, or something like that. Do you know what I'm talking about? I feel like I it was like at the beginning recall. of this chapter, because um, it's Kelsier that says it. Um, uh, it must be when he's talking with uh, people right at the beginning, right? Or oh no, it, it's when he's on the roof. It's like. Um, describing the city. Oh yeah, here we go. It was a land of swirling mystery and strange creatures, strange creatures like me, Kelsey or thought mm-hmm. like that, that made me roll my eyes. Like, but I immediately thought of Batman for some reason. <laughs> so it's interesting that you brought up Batman. <laughs> I mean, that's, <clears throat> that's it. That's a fair enough point. And that is definitely a, uh, a funny, a funny line in that way. Right. It, it's also interesting because Kelsey is so like self-defacing a lot of the time, like his humor. A lot of the time is like, ah, oh, yes, well, we can't all be like you or we can't all like it. It gives this kind of like, yes, I am nothing kind of an appeal. And obviously he's, you know, kind of being over the top, but that line, because it's internal dialogue has this tone of seriousness. And I think it's also, delivered with a tone of seriousness versus Kelsier's usual like sarcasm and snark but <laughs> it just, yeah. I, I don't know what it was it just felt off and like that's okay i don't know brooding yeah. teenager kind of vibes 
Yeah. We also get uh, like pewter being burned here as he's like landing on things and, and kind of like crashing into things to absorb the impact on his body and, and components like that. It, it's just it's so cool. It's such a unique system. Mm-hmm. Like you said, we haven't talked about adaptation, uh, but like this is ready for it. Like this is rife with opportunity. Yeah. Like, yeah. no doubt. No doubt. Absolutely. But, yeah. Brand Sanderson has written several treatments. I think at one point he was working on a movie with a production company, and I think that fell out. And then um, I think talks have restarted in some fashion uh, more recently, but I, I don't remember the details. I will definitely come back with a report on those for the next episode um, okay. just to have a little bit more. But there there has been a couple of attempts to get this kind of off the ground um, over the years. So, mm-hmm. With that, we also get the description, or sorry, we also get, from there, we arrive at Keep Venture. I just get this straight up Boondock Saints, there was a firefight moment, right? Like <laughs> like you said, you have that one take, you've, this, you've got this guy landing and making this big scene, slitting a guy's throat open, landing on his chest, pushing off the breastplate um, with, like, the magic metal push the the like decapitation of another dude throwing another man out the window later coming back to that body and kind of like laughing at it what's <laughs> on the ground there you're like oh he's like mush <laughs> and there's you know there's there's just so much incredibly well choreographed um violence here as a kid when i grew up i loved magneto and like you'd always i don't i don't know if you were this way but when i was a kid imagining being a superhero the person that i wanted to be was magneto so i actually wanted to be a villain um but just the idea of like controlling metal in this way is so fascinating and you know you you always think about like what what could you do and with like the way that he uses coins throughout the combat the way that all of this kind of works itself together um i want to hear from you though what what did what did you think about this action scene man the the whole I, I'm trying to think of like a, a specific part that stands out and none of it does because all of it does, you know, mm-hmm. like this is so starkly different from the fight scenes that we get from Pierce Brown. And I love those fight scenes. I love the way Pierce Brown like writes fight scenes. This is completely different. This is so much more like, Ah, oh, man, I, I hesitate to use the word sterile, but like clinical, I guess. Like it, it mm-hmm. is, it is just clean and it, it, it's not flowery. There's no words minced at all, but it goes in depth. It, it just felt like it felt like we should have had sort of a, an introduction to how all of this works but instead he's just like nope we're giving you an entire fucking like heist all at once and you're gonna get all of it in one take and mic drop it was amazing and i fell in love with this scene i listened to it a ton of times in my audiobook while i was working Mm -hmm. like i just kept listening to it and it is one of those things where if you get distracted or like I would be like reading an email or working on a 3d model or something like that. And if I got distracted once I had to like back up and listen to the whole thing, you have to listen to all of it or read all of it in one take without getting distracted at all, which is hard for me. So I did have to listen to a bunch, but it was amazing. I loved it. Yeah, it's, 
it's remarkable truly like it is incredible in all of its components right like we get the we get the combat with the initial guards that that show up we get we get like the ones that he takes down the ground sure the guy that we i mentioned slicing his throat open but we get the first ones that rush to the scene the ones that are wearing steel breastplates and one guy pulls out a dagger and kelsier like literally just uses the pole to like throw it and slash his throat like it's so good and the other guy realizes that he's a, he's a mistborn and so he's trying to take off the breastplate because he doesn't want it to be used against him um and like taking off his armor as quickly as he can but of course most of that's too late we see the haze killers of course enter um which is you know certainly it's kind of own interesting thing here these are specialized killers who don't use or wear any metal that could be manipulated and i think it's an interesting and necessary force in the world in which now, as we know, after this scene, metal is kind of dangerous if you're anywhere near a Mistborn. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of sort of understating it. <laughs> a little <Like>. bit. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, I have a lot of metal around me right now, and I'm painfully <laughs> aware of it. I'm painfully aware of it at this mm-hmm. point. Because uh, I could get fucking crumpled at any moment. I feel like, um, yeah, I just, I felt like the way that this gives us an intense deep dive into Mistborns and Mistings in general and how much of a powerful force they are, um, it, it really gave us perspective on that. The fact that this security detail, these haze killers, an integral part to the security of the home because this is a real threat and they are going to be a part of every nefarious group, every army, every anything that is formidable is going to have this sort of threat. So um, dedicating dedicating manpower to exclusively deal with them is smart, but kind of terrifying. Yeah. It's, um, it's definitely necessary. And as we kind of learn from Doxon, House Venture is one of the biggest houses, if not the biggest house. So this is definitely a great house to be attacking, uh, especially after the violence that had been, had been enacted. You know, this is this is bound to create some paranoia and chaos, um, which, as we learn later, is kind of Kelsier's goal as a part of the group. So that's interesting yeah. in and of itself. But mm. You know, it's just this scene, like you said, the one shot idea of this is so great. It reminds me of those Daredevil one shot, one take scenes, which are so good. So excellent. The best. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just, oh, my God. And the Haze Killers themselves, absolutely necessary as a force. So, of course, there's a ton more that happens here. Kelsier kills a bunch of people with coins. <laughs> we see other coin <laughs> shots beginning to attack him uh, and kind of having some of those be deflected. He is kind of, He's not getting overwhelmed, but he can't continue to kill everyone. He's causing enough chaos. Um, murders a couple of people with an ingot of metal, like a whole fucking bar. Uh, <laughs> throws some more out of the building. There's just a ton that goes on here before we escape um, with some boxing notes. And the ATM that he came for in the first place in a small bag. Yeah. Like I said, this, I, I read through this thing so many times. Um, most of them through the audiobook, like, cause I was working, but, and we only had two days between when we last recorded. True. And I can't read ahead. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I also um, had to listen today. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
but this was a joy in absolute, like the most fun I've had reading in a, in a while. And that's saying a lot because I had a blast with basically every book you've put in, in front of me. So, mm-hmm. yeah, this is, um, truly an incredible, incredible action scene. And it's, it's so great to have here. Mm-hmm. I do agree. Uh, anything else on this? I kind of left the notes themselves fairly sparse here because I figured we'd kind of talk about it, random things, but anything else? Um, I short of like going through and writing move by move, what happened <laughs> out? I, I think we're good. Okay. Yeah. I think so. Fair, fair enough. Fair enough. So with that, we get into chapter six. We also get our second prophecy of the week, which again goes back to the deepness and something that is pulsing in our hero's mind from the distance as though it's calling them. They also state that Terrace is probably as apparently the only place that this can be done. Thoughts? Well, first of all, it, first of all, isn't this the third prophecy? No, oh, no, we don't technically no, have a first. No, we, yeah. Cause we yep, read it last yep. week. Yeah. So it is the second one. Um, Either way, I've got no idea. Like, this is literally me. Like, you're asking me to just shoot in the dark. I have no idea what is going on here. (laughs) The deepness, maybe it's part of the mist, is all I'm running on. So, okay. um, I'm running on fumes. They're fun. I enjoy reading them. I'm still thinking it's Vin, but that's all I know. All right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I'm sure, I'm sure these are very profound and important pieces of like the story later, but I just feel lost. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. Sounds good. So we start the chapter proper, of course, with Vin in her room and man, I, we talked about this a lot, but I, I find it strange. It's this, it's a comforting kind of strangeness, I think to her, as a character and the way that her spirit has truly been broken by everything that she's gone through by her brother and the society at large here definitely stings deep. I'm glad she's being afforded these comforts now, of course, and and hope that someday she can come to see them as such. But right now it stings. Yeah. It was really eye opening for me to start the chapter this way. And her mentioning the idea that being given this spacious private room devalues the amount of struggle that she had to go through uh, for comparative morsels of privacy in the past. It did a really good job of allowing me to really empathize. Wow. Emp. But it allowed me to empathize with her in her sort of strange, conflicted feelings of what she's going through. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. God, I completely like undercut my own I, my own thought by like fucking up the word empathize. You can say it again if you want. No, no, continue. All right. I just I'm cool with you, that. You know, give you enough time to take. Yeah, I oh, mean, it's it 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 does provide this odd problem in conflict, right? Like these things have always been readily available or like are readily available and she just hasn't had access to them. That feels mean and cheap and, you know, like, this is really like the the moral quandary of we have homes for sale, but we have homeless people, right? Like, this is kind of a similar problem where, you know, you continue inside of these systems for long enough and you you kind of see these 
uh, these means afforded to you eventually. And it's like, well, why, why didn't this happen sooner? Um, and it, you know, it, it just, it sucks and it's reality. And I think that hopefully one day, you know, Vin can, Vin can come around to this, but yeah. Right. It's, um, brilliantly written, I think here. Yeah, I really agreed to give us these kind of, like you said, these conflicted feelings of empathy and, and whatnot. Um, yeah. Yeah. So we also see inside of clubs shop. And I think it's a great little scene because it is so starkly different from the rest of the world that we've seen so far. It's very well put together. There's no, as, as Vin even notes, there's no ash piled in the corners. There's some hustle and bustle as people are kind of going about their jobs. There's this air of a respected nature about it. And I think that's great, especially from the character that we've previously been introduced to as paranoid. It's, it's just kind of a nice, like, flavor on top of it all you know Mm -hmm. for sure we also get some more insight into vin and how she thinks and her her perspective on things um specifically i think we have to go back a little bit to um one of the previous questions she she hasn't had exposure to what's out there like i Mm -hmm. I think i mentioned this before like clubs is a pretty pretty well off ska in most most respects as far as ska go so she's absolutely stunned that someone in his position would just throw it away as it were because he's living a pretty charmed life from her perspective so um she this is a fun perspective to see things through it really kind of is yeah it's it's interesting right because this is you know, I said it time and time again, but this is truly like so, so starkly different um, and so like well defined that it does paint this picture of, of what Ska could have, what certain Ska can have. But also to to your point, kind of points to the, the unfairness and the injustice of it all, because obviously there are plantation Ska that exist and opportunities do not appear to be equal, of course. Right. But so. That said, these unequal opportunities are, as she says, extremely rare. Yep. And you and also aspirational. V- aspirational. She she mentions that like for him to be in the, in this station, like of this station, he must be a master craftsman. So, mm-hmm. or master carpenter, I think is what she calls him. So, yeah. We're also introduced to Lestabornes, a strange thin boy in Clubs' nephew who speaks in a very distinct accent and is also known to be a Tenai. What did you make of Lestabornes? <laughs> I mean, uh, other than just he is a decent amount of comic relief throughout this. I don't know. I found it funny. I, di- I didn't know what to make of him otherwise. He was this awkward, awkward boy with... I I couldn't tell if it was entirely just a heavy accent or a straight up like language barrier. Mm. <laughs> so I don't know. It was it, he was fun. I'm excited to see where he goes, if anywhere. Like we get uh, Kelsier just straight up like calling him out at some point, like when they're trying to choose the noble, the noble stand-in. He like speaks. He's like, well, nope. <laughs> somebody else i don't know i enjoy him yeah yeah he's he's fun you know like you said he's he's an oddball he um 
it does give us kind of a different taste of what this world has to offer in its own right too. Like this is a completely different aspect and like the wasing, the wearing and like the, the sort of way that he goes about speaking and delivering information and the sort of language barrier goes to show that, Hey, this world isn't, you know, really, it isn't a monoculture, which is kind of what we've been presented with so far. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Yeah. It's, I, I mean, he's got, he's got a lot of potential and he's clubs, his nephew, you know, like that also, like he's related to clubs is clubs from the other city. Like how, how exactly does that work? How did clubs end up being in charge of him? You know? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, he's presented as clubs, his nephew. We don't necessarily know that's entirely Are you calling true. clubs a liar. Well, I'm calling clubs somebody who has said himself that he takes great care in hiding other mistings from being found out. Like, I'm sure that's a way of kind of obscuring why he's with them, like calling them a distant nephew. I feel like that makes sense. Okay. All right. That makes sense. So we then get into everyone re-arriving back here. We know that they're going to stay here so that they can all hide together um, so that they can kind of plan and plot together and, and work through most everything within Clubs of Shot. But we also get into discussing the framework of how this is all going to go down and the kind of arguments and conversations therein around the heist to happen, effectively going through what could be called kind of a brainstorming session of sorts. Um, we're going to approach it basically by the topics that Kelsier mentions. Uh, kind of in order. <laughs> so, um, the first thing that we have to deal with here is the Luthadel garrison. What did you make of their plan to distract the garrison by going and attacking the pits of Hathson? Oh man. Um, I think it, I think it sounds like a horrible idea. <laughs> I think it isn't going to work in the slightest. Um, because, I think it's a an obscure enough thing that is important enough that it feels like the Lord Ruler wouldn't necessarily want to just let that entire garrison know about the like the existence of this mine at the pits and would rather probably have something dedicated to the pits that's hidden and like in wait. I don't know. Mm, like a different force, a different force entirely that they're not aware of. Got it. Okay. All right. So you but don't also think just work. in general, like that's a whole lot of assumption being placed on the idea that you're going to draw out like exactly what you need to draw out from this one simple trick. <laughs> this one simple <laughs> trick will overthrow the Lord ruler. <laughs> 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 the clickbaity headlines are everywhere. Um, <laughs> Deities hate him. <laughs> Deities hate him. Yes. <laughs> oh my god, that's perfect. <laughs> Lord Ruler, not anymore. <laughs> um, fantastic. So there's also the general chaos clause, right, which is seemingly assigned to uh, Kelsier and to at least at the very least a minor extent, uh, given given a little bit from uh, Vin, what'd you make of the, the sort of chaos clause? I mean, chaos is just kind of everything that's happening here. <laughs> I like how chaos was just kind of added to the board without any other augmentations. It's just 
chaos happens here. Like we need chaos uh-huh. in general, fucking everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. And uh, Kelsier, of course, is like, well, I can handle that through that through like the way that he's going to do chaos is through the great houses, right? Through sowing discord and causing infighting among the great houses, uh, right. including what we've already seen him do right now. Right. Yeah, that was a co- like really cool way to tie that all together and make it one that heist was important for us, the readers, for understanding what's happening and kind of getting jumped in to a certain extent to this sort of the the mechanisms of this world Two for the actual tangible thing that Kelsier needs. He gets it through this and three, it creates this chaos that he's talking about later and explicitly is called out as like, this is the seed that we're going to grow and uh, bring house wars from this. Because who else has Mistborns that are fighting off other houses? Fucking nobody. Wait, who has Mistborns that are fighting off other houses? Other houses, presumably. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Make the Mistborns fight each other, basically. Well, make the houses fight each other by making them believe that the Mistborns are... The Mistborns from the other houses are invading. Yes, yes, okay. Just making sure. Subterfuge, Crossland. Yes, subterfuge. <laughs> Come on, get with the program. <laughs> um, yeah, get no, busy absolutely. subterfuging or get busy leaving. <laughs> get busy subterfuging or get busy dying. Uh, probably, yeah. probably dying. Everyone's dead here. Um, so from there, we also within the great houses mm-hmm. uh, have Vin, right? And Vin's job, of which is, of course, the last assigned. We'll talk about it now, and we'll, we'll kind of come back to a little bit of it here in the end. Uh, but what do you think of, of Vin's job and sort oh. of the way what was put on her? That's going to be fun, man. Mm-hmm. That's going to be fun to see her sort of quick, rapid, quick and rapid are synonyms. Um, very accelerated path to becoming a passable noble. Um, I'm, I'm guessing it's going to be uh, a little bit shaky to start because one, she is not a noble and two, she's really fucking timid. <laughs> she's fairly paranoid. Like this is that exactly also, the opposite though, of her. I don't know if that's necessarily fighting against her though. Like I'm sure there are some nobles that are pretty paranoid. I don't think that's sure. A sure. giveaway, but either way, like she's gonna have to learn how to act. True, yeah, she's definitely gonna have to pick up uh, behavior for sure. Mm-hmm. That's um, that's definitely something. Uh, so yeah, we've we've got a lot that's going to be put on Vin's plate. We'll we'll talk a little bit more about that a little bit later here once we get kind of a couple of more things out of the way with with Vin. Um, but we also have the ATM stealing the ATM from the vault. This kind of ties into everything a little bit, so. Um, this is sort of the end goal, the end result of once we get the garrison out, we can then go to the ATM and secure it and steal it with the troops that we have on the inside because the garrison will have left and gone to defend the pits of Hathson. Presumably. Presumably, yes. If all goes to plan. <laughs> if all goes according to plan, the ATM is kind of the final thing. So that brings us to the troops, though, right? Like that brings us to what needs to happen with the troops. 
We've got recruiting, training, and equipping, kind of the three different components here with the troops. Recruiting, of course, is left up to Breeze uh, to do the soother and his his soothers to convince to join the squad to join the rebellion. They're looking for about 10,000 good men. Goodmen. Good, good, good men. <laughs> um, they're looking for 10,000 people. That's like, that's seemingly a lot. <laughs> that's, considering that's quite the a garrison few people. Has half. <laughs> Or, yeah, that's, that's half the garrison, I should say. A, I would say that is a big number of people. Big, big people. Big number. number. Big people. Big people number. Yeah, well, I guess it's, it can be small people. Big number, small people. <laughs> it could be. Um, yeah, I don't know. If, I, mean, I don't know if uh, ska are relatively diminutive. I'm sure they're mal- malnourished. To a certain extent, they're probably small. Yeah, fair, fair enough. Yeah. We've got training <laughs> the soldiers, which is left up to Ham, right? Yep, Mister Mister Leaderman, uh, who also is going to be able to recruit and pull some other people to help train uh, from his days, kind of as a as a mercenary and from his experiences that he has with other. Uh, sympathetic ska i think is kind of the sort of term that he uses mm-hmm. and his or, name know, some is are guards hammond correct hammond I yes I, I i forgot if it was said in this chapter or not so it, it was i was yeah. trying to avoid yeah okay it's hammond yes so ham hammond yep yep that makes sense but he's gonna he's going to pull some of the troops some ska from the garrison probably probably a handful um whoever he can kind of pull who are sympathetic to the cause of course he will he will try to take and yeden of course reacts negatively to this as kind of the resident um leader of the ska rebellion and uh has a very negative kind of reaction and connotation to the idea of ham hammond taking the uh the troops all right what do you he think has a negative reaction to fucking everything and he's yes. the one that hired him uh-huh like he has a negative reaction to the idea that they're going to be doing this in the first place like right i don't get it <laughs> he's well i i do to a certain extent i think they even mentioned like it seems like as he's hearing it said out loud he realizes how crazy it is and is kind of like shying off a bit mm-hmm. but man be be gung-ho right he's also already right. paid right totally be gung-ho like get, get your shit together yeeden yeet anyway yeet yeeden yeet <laughs> 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 but don't yeet yeet you know <laughs> something like that <clears throat> and then we've got equipping as well equipping is a conversation for these guys it is something that's going to have to happen earlier and it is something that we will talk a lot more later but it's ultimately going to be left up to kelsier via lord renew we'll talk more about that in a second so we'll skip that for now um and then of course there's the lord ruler himself of which I think Kelsier just writes down the 11th medal underneath. Does he even write that? I don't know if he does. I don't recall. Um, I think he just th- throws it on the table. The little ink it? dick statue of metal. Whatever it is. Ink, ink it? <laughs> dick statue. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing contextual for that. I just felt like it'd be funny kelsier general mayhem <laughs> oh right general mayhem was under chaos mm-hmm. right yep 
Preparation Rule, Beneath the Scout Rebellion. So Union, This did of course, feel very Fight Club to a certain extent. It does. But yeah, it's it's kind of left to interpretation, actually. I don't think it's quite there. And the Lord Ruler, I'm still planning to deal with him personally. I just have to figure out how to make the 11th medal work. So, Kelsier responsible for the Lord Ruler. Hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cool little plan. We've got our little cool, plan. Cool little plan. Very so, Fight Clubby. Yeah, very Fight Clubby. And I know partially it's because they use the term mayhem. So, mm-hmm. like, it's hard to really separate that, but even trying to disregard that, it still feels kind of that way. I mean, like every heist movie plan, right? Like it's got, it's got those elements of like, okay, this is this, this is that, you know, oceans 11 has the same kind of thing, right? Like, Mm -hmm. okay, you're going to do this. And then we get the cut, the Soderbergh cut, and then we get this and then that. And yeah, by the way, isn't it funny that we talked about heist movies like a week ago and now we're talking about a heist book. Yeah. For the record, Um, I thought that that was super ironic when we were talking about that. (laughs) that It's great. It's fucking awesome. If you have not heard about it, you can catch us on High Key Obsessed talking about Logan Lucky in Thomas's series on heist movies. We uh, we came and guest starred on his show talking about Logan Lucky, which was a very good heist movie. And a very good time. And a very good time. I had a blast. I am so I'm so pumped every time we go on his show. I love it. Yeah, it's always it's always a good time. Um. So there, there's a little line here that happens as well with Vin that has to do with she says Lord Ruler basically cursing and swearing out like what what all has to happen here specifically and he Kelsier says don't use his name as an oath Vin when you curse by that creature's name you acknowledge him as your god and wow like oof yeah I I don't know man this is something that you find in a ton of different stories. And it's always seemed like a little bit much to me. Uh, I'm, I don't know how to describe it, but a lot of the stories that I've like read or experienced or watched or whatever it might be, they put so much of a focus on like the idea that we don't use God as the curse. We use something else and it's fine. It's just so heavy handed. And this kind of doubles down on that in that he, it's explicitly called out. Like, don't do that because it gives him power. I don't know. I don't know why it bothers me and it doesn't, it doesn't really bother me. It just, it has never resonated with me and I've always found it kind of ham fisted. See, so for me, this is like the inverse of that trope, right? I, I know the, the kind of trope that you're speaking of. This feels more like a direct call out of that trope saying like, Hey, we shouldn't even be acknowledging him as God. And, and there isn't another thing to like worship or talk to or, you know, another religion at this point in any context, but it's incorrect mm. to assume that that creature is God. And I think that that's, that's really what it's about more or less. Like, yeah, that's fair. You're get, you're, get, you're marketing for him. <laughs> like you are, you are resharing an advertisement. Yeah. But it, it, it's less about the actual, like, and maybe maybe it's different because it, this entity still exists and is alive and is an actual force within the world at this point. But um, I don't know. I didn't see it as that much different. It just kind of reinforced that this is kind of the rebel group to that and this is still relevant. I, I don't know. I don't know. It It didn't come across as distinct to me. 
But sure. I can see where you're coming from. Like, it's the inverse in its own way of he who shall not be named, right, with Harry Potter. I know you know at the very least that. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Like, he who shall not be named is like, we don't want to give his name power so we don't say the name. But in fact, they created something different that's powerful by not doing it, right? And this is instead mm. saying, like, don't even acknowledge that thing as God. And, like, cursing about it is just silly because he he's nothing to curse to or at or about. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, fair enough. Uh, we're also introduced to another element to be of assistance, someone who will be playing the part of Lord Renu, as Kelsier had previously had him killed under different circumstances at a different time here. Uh, what do you kind of make of this new angle and also Yin's reaction to the murder of noblemen and uh, kind of everyone else being like very cagey about the replacement? Yeah, um, I'm excited about it. I don't know how to put it any other way. Um, this does also hint at the idea that there are other forms of magic or magical abilities that can be wielded by our protagonists at the very least or by people within this world. So that's cool and exciting. And even though we're starting to learn more and more about Alamancy, we, we know that there are still mysteries out there to be uncovered. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That there's still there's still other things, even though some things are being revealed. There's still depth. Do you have any particular predictions about who or what you think Renew is? Um, I have a couple ideas. One is sort of in the in the realm of something almost necromantic, like it is the same body but reanimated. Um, the other idea is the mist wraiths. That there, that we've had a bunch of mentions of because they mention the idea that they can take their, take the form of people that, that they know. I think Miss Wraith makes more sense and they're misunderstood by the Ska. So we don't know actually what they do, but Kelsier somehow has the ability to influence them into taking a specific form. And that's why people are so cagey about it and how <laughs> they're, they're, Warning, like, nah, you'd like that even less. So presumably it's something that people would know about and have information on. So mystery, if it makes sense. Okay. All right. Sweet. I'm, yeah. um, yeah, that'll yep. be, yep. You can go ahead and italicize that shit or I don't know how, well, you if I have a, I, I didn't you write, don't even write have any that of that out. Down. Yep. Yep. So I'll, I'll write that into the predictions for next week. Uh, okay. And we also get Vin's assignment here as well, how she will be handling the nobleman as a spy from the inside as she's the only one who possibly could, could, excuse me. Ooh, and how interesting a development that is. We kind of talked about it a little bit earlier, but what do you think of those implications? What do you think of the, um, the whole thing? Uh, it will, it will be an interesting development. So I'm curious and I'm expecting her to go through a bunch of training um, in different aspects, probably from the different members of the crew, training her on the different metals of her allomancy, um, maybe different people that are specifically bred to be predisposed to be experts in certain fields, giving her insight on different things. That might be a different story we're talking about. <laughs> um, <laughs> Avatar, no, last airbender. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> Could be. Maybe. 
She's going to be the avatar? <laughs> uh, yes. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I I definitely think that there's a lot of interesting things here that could happen with and to Vin, right? And she's understandably nervy about this idea, but she's, you know, I think there's some part of her that's excited to be a part of the team that's just glad to be here, but definitely shocked about what she has to do. Mm-hmm. For sure. So finally, this chapter ends with Marsh returning and he and Kelsey are having a conversation in the other room while Vin listens in. That's some sneaky shit, man. I can't imagine that Kelsier is completely unaware of Vin's presence. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm sure he knows and I'm sure he kind of anticipates it, honestly. So I'm excited to see what she uncovers. Yeah, and we know Vin to be sneaky, not just from like her nature, but also her actions. Even at the beginning of the section, she was like aware of when Kelsier came home and aware of what he was doing um, and kind of like cognizant of those different things and, and catching everyone up. Also, I realized I think we forgot to drink when uh, they fetched that secret bottle of wine, by the way. Oh, we Cheers. did. Yeah. Cheers. Um, yeah. So it's uh, it's very interesting. All right. So our final note of the week is that of the chapter seven prophecy, uh, which is really kind of fun speaking. It speaks of Rashek, a tall terraceman and that of Kalenium, a place that this man curses despite having never seen it. Um, I'm just going to read it here. I think that might be fun for yeah, these last for ones to have like a read this at the end of each week. So Rashek is a tall man. Of course, most of the terrorist men are tall. He is so young to receive so much respect from the other Pac-Men. He has charisma, and women of court would probably describe him as handsome, in a rugged sort of way. Yet it amazes me that anyone would give heed to a man who speaks such hatred. He has never seen Kalenium, yet he curses the city. He does not know me, yet I can see, or I can already see the anger and hostility in his eyes. Uh, mm-hmm. Thoughts? None. Absolutely none. Um, I am so lost and confused here. (laughs) I really thought these would be immediately relevant to like what we were talking about after the first couple. They are not, they are not in the slightest. So I've got no fucking idea what's going on, man. (laughs) Well, that's fun. Um, and you know, it's, it's interesting to see your, uh, your, the way that this is latched into you, like wax and wane a little bit here, uh, and and kind of, you know, come and go. Fuck these passages. I really enjoy them, but fuck them. <laughs> it's still fun because you you get like this secondary through line to a different story, right? Like I, a, I love how you write these questions as if I'm going to like have something insightful to say about it. Well, I Do you have expect to, like, try me to, to have an answer? Sometimes. I mean, I don't know. Sometimes you, you come up with shit that I don't have written down and other stuff. You know, like, I have to try to prepare as reasonably. I'm going to die. Uh, I'm trying to prepare as reasonably as I can for, you know, like, your thoughts and, and components like that. So Yeah, um, that's fair. You know, it's, that's the hope is that maybe maybe you do have something to say. Maybe you don't. And, th- and that's okay. Um, which is also why at the end of every week, PJ, I ask, do you have anything else? Do you have anything else that you liked this week or anything else that was kind of on your mind week to week? I will say we got the Lord Ruler's uh, gender confirmed. He, him a couple of times uh, throughout this section. Okay. Yep. But that was the only one that I really wanted to bring up uh, from episode to episode. But um, okay. any any sort of uh, other things that are on your mind, other beats, other questions relating to the chapter? Anything? 
I think we hit everything that I had like prepared for. So things felt good. All right. Well, cool. With that, we move into your predictions, um, of which I have a, I have a few written down and I was writing them as we were like making comments back and forth with each other. And we brought up jeopardy. So one of them is a complete joke, but I'm still going to read it. Um, this goes along <laughs> with the ones that you've italicized in, in my notes, um, because they're kind of predictions and, uh, yeah, we're going to do a better thing. job this season for anyone who's listened to a season over season. Uh, PJ makes predictions in the middle of the episode that we don't normally document. We're going to actually document those because those predictions are probably accountable. enough. Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, also, those predictions will probably be enough. So They will because uh, this one, I think, is entirely overlapped. Um, so this is the only extra prediction I have. Uh, okay, so first thing I have written down. Vin will undergo training from each of the different disciplines represented by the crew. Said that already. That makes sense to me. It's going to be kind of like a... Uh, I don't know. You go through training when you go to a new job and they're like, this is the sales department. They're going to give you training on sales even though you're not part of the sales team. Crossland, pretend you're not part of the sales team in this situation. Here's the R&D department. They're going to tell you about all the products we have in the pipeline. Here's the oh, wow. data management. Like, I'm thinking she's going to go through like an onboarding process with all the uh, with all the different members. Next thing I have written: Kelsier will be outbid by one dollar and will not receive any points. Um, that was the, that was the joke about game shows that we were playing before. Um, <laughs> the third one, Lord Renew or someone close to him will be another point of view or the crew will travel to Lord Renew and work on some stuff. So, you know, not a whole lot to go on there, but I'm thinking that's going to happen. And by right. the way, these predictions are for the entire book. It's sometimes the entire series, but, um, <laughs> This part, this one that I put last, I'm putting the putting the gamble on next reading section. So if it happens in the next reading section, you drink. And if it doesn't, I drink. So a little bit Got more uh, specific on this one because that's just a bullshit prediction for, uh, <laughs> for me to hold you accountable for. So. All right. All right. Yeah. Oh, oh, that's that's another sort of thing. This is kind of our our little bets throughout the uh, throughout the show. If I get a prediction right, Crossland drinks at the if beginning. I get of wrong. The yep. I drink. So yes. Yep. Absolutely. So uh, with that, we have the question of the week. The question of the week for the first four episode, three episodes here is. What is your favorite prologue? Um, so get those into us as soon as you can here, and uh, we will read them on the fourth episode of this show. So and get are, them you, in. are you talking literary? Are you talking like the prologue to a TV show or a movie or something? Like what? What are you? It could, it are could you be either. Like there, there's some, um, you know, like. I would say probably not TV shows. I can't think of any TV shows with prologues that don't like. I, neither can I. I'm just, I'm but, just making, making you elaborate. 
they're like movie prologues, like horror movie prologues, for instance, are, are a decent enough example. Um, but I'm, I'm thinking mostly literature, like favorite prologue. Okay. Uh, I, I'm one who's previously stated that I'm not a massive fan of prologues. This has one of my favorite prologues in it. The series does. So, um, you know, it really depends on the story. But yeah. Okay, cool. So uh, send us in your favorite prologues for sure. Uh, um, with yeah. that, next week we will be reading chapters seven and eight. So this is a short one. This is going to end part one. Uh, so with that, you <coughs> you won't have to read the next terrorist prophecy, prophecy at the beginning of part two because they are delineated. So don't flip to the next chapter. Just finish finish out the part. Cool. Sounds good. So, yeah, really only one not prophecy that, next not week. Not that, that they means. fucking matter. <laughs> <laughs> only one prophecy next week, PJ. Stop sweating about it. Uh, yeah, quick, breezy, 40 pages. It should be a pretty quick part. Um, this is the shortest section, second shortest section, actually, that we're going to be reading this entire time. Uh, the rest of them are going to get a little bit longer than the last couple that we've gone through. But, uh yeah mm. sweet cool with that that's where we're gonna leave you for the week thank you as ever to tim and andrew for helping us kind of make this show happen you can check out our links in the show notes you can find our schedule patreon previous episodes our websites our socials all in one very convenient location yeah, all of that, including the, uh, like PJ said, the show notes, you, you're able to find all that. Otherwise, reach out to us on social media. The links are obviously it, as they've previously been described down there. Check us out, Words and Words Whiskey Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, send us an email at wordsandwhiskeyshow at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, happy to, happy to see you out here. Happy to be reading the series and cannot wait. Thank you all so much for the support. Uh, leave us a five-star review if you can. Tell your friends, um, especially people who like Mistborn, uh, about about the series. We'd love to um, love to have them listen and uh, either relive the series with us or give them a reason to kind of chat about it each week with you. So, so yeah. I've got I've got an idea, Crossland, sure. because we constantly fuck up our own social handles and email address. We should Maybe probably we should write put it. them in the no- in the show notes. We so should we probably can, write it down yeah, <laughs> in the notes here. in our show notes. Yeah. <laughs> Motherfuck. Um, <laughs> I literally did not put any thought into that before, but we are always fucking that up. <laughs> literally, I had to edit around it <laughs> this week, so like, I had to clean it up and like cut it from a different episode. It sucked. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, it was it was its whole thing. All right, so um, words whiskey pod pod. Yep. Words Whiskey Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Words and Whiskey Show. Words and Whiskey Show, right? Uh, at gmail.com. Uh, yes. Yep. Uh, yeah. Words and Whiskey Show at gmail.com. Yeah, okay. Words and Whiskey on top Pod. Of that, words and Whiskey Show. Patreon.com forward slash words and whiskey. There we go. Boom. That's all of them. All right, we have them in there. They will live in our They will forever for be here, and pe- we will never fuck them up again. <laughs> <laughs> we still will. We still might, but at the very least, there's less of an excuse now. <laughs> now it's on us. Yeah, truly Instead now of it's past us for making. Or on our memory, yeah, at the time. Sweet. 
with that, uh, see you next week. Have a good one. Boy.